well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber, here with two fine, industrious, and not dying of radium poisoning ladies, Heather and Caitlin Weber. Hello. Hi. I am not. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. My yeah. arms are tired. J- jaw's feeling good? Yeah, yeah, everything. My jaw is the best feeling thing on my body right now. The rest is all very sore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is our last episode of the Radium Girl series. Wow. Yeah, I, know. I mean, no. Four <laughs> long episodes. Very, it was a journey. Mm-hmm. We started thinking we could do this easy, and then, yeah, no. We got too invested. Yeah, I mean, it's a great story, and I, you know, I hope everyone is is finding it just as interesting as we are. And of course, we do recommend the book. It is The Radium Girls, The Dark Story of America's Shining Women by Kate Moore. So yeah, if you want to learn more or read, um, it's a fantastic book. Um, she's, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think we've already talked her up enough. So no more, Kate Moore. Besides that, though, I mean, this is an incredibly important historic event that I think everyone should know about. I mean, it affects Everyone, if you are on the workforce in the United States, mm-hmm. this case affects you. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that not more people know about it. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, I guess like for the last episode we did with the industrial accidents and disasters, mm-hmm. um, it still happens to this day. Workers are still exploited. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I would it always seems to get glossed over. So it'd be, you know, I hope more people start to understand how how important it is that we like make sure there are regulations we make sure that like capitalism capitalism isn't running amok we make sure that like you know these these companies are held accountable for their mm-hmm. actions yeah it's very important i mean mm-hmm. i work with chemicals almost every day that could give me cancer if i didn't have a respirator on or like wasn't really careful about it you know or informed about it. And small, yeah. small bu- businesses can be dangerous, right? Because you could be working with chemicals or in a warehouse that's dangerous. And to save money, they, w- they won't give you yeah, the things OSHA you need. Yeah, and OSHA just doesn't check you out. They're like, just you fall through the cracks, you know, just like tax yeah. evasion or something. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you think the rules are stupid, they're not. They're there for a reason. They're there to yeah. fucking save your ass. They yeah, absolutely. Won't tell so, yeah, I guess we, we have a long episode. Um, we're hoping to kind of fit everything in within or an hour, but we might go a little over. So, yeah, I guess yep. we should get started. Let's do this. When we last left the Orange Girls, as they were known, they had sort of won their case against USRC. Though the company was not found guilty, a settlement was agreed on that would give the girls some compensation and their medical bills paid, with stipulations. Their lawyer, Raymond Barry, had to agree to not get involved in another lawsuit against the company. And this was a devastating blow as Barry had been one of the few lawyers to even take the case, let alone succeed against USRC. And to make matters worse, the stock market had just crashed in 1929, kicking off the Great Depression. Oh, so they're just like, fuck these girls, I got other shit on my mind, I'm gonna lose my house and all my underpants. (laughs) well you know as we'll see they use that as an excuse quite often it was like it was very convenient for the radium industry fucking comes in with like a like a a stick as a cane with like rags on with like you know 
like a, a tin can. <laughs> He's got like the hobo satchel on the stick. Like Exactly. He's all like, who, me? I don't have any money. Look, my toe is popping out of my shoe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so in 1930 in Ottawa, Illinois, Catherine Wolf. Okay, so there's going to be two Catherines. So I'll try to say the last. We'll try to say the last names. But Catherine Wolf is in Illinois. Catherine Schaub is in New Jersey. Right. And so then just, Catherine Wolf becomes Catherine Donahue. So That's right. And we'll try to make it as le- like less complicated as we can. As try to think of it as Schaub. Schaub. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Schaub. <laughs> so in Ottawa, Illinois, Catherine Wolf had not been feeling well as of late. She was called into Mr. Reed's office, and he suggested that she take a six-week vacation to help with her poor condition. Catherine wasn't the only girl in Ottawa showing symptoms of declining health. Another girl, Margaret Looney, was also showing signs. And you could be sure that Radium Dial was keeping a close eye on them while trying to ease them out of view of the other girls. So just trying to, like, shuffle them into, like, a broom closet. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. When Catherine returned from her vacation and her condition had not improved, they changed her duties. She was to only paint part-time now, and her new duties included prepping the paint for the, for the other girls. She would weigh out the materials, radium, and scrape out the dishes, usually using her fingernails. And in many ways, she was getting even more radium on herself, as her hands were covered and she had the habit of running uh, her hands through her hair. So she was just spreading it onto her scalp. Oh it was just on her no. skin. Mm-hmm. And when she was painting dials, she still lip pointed. Oh, dang. She might as well just like get in a jacuzzi made of it. Shit. I, I, yeah. Dude, I mean, like, it, you know, and she's also weighing out all the materials. The dust is getting everywhere, like even more on herself because it's not diluted with the paint. I mean, she's I mean, she might as well just be in a bathtub of radium. I don't understand how they could be so goddamn stupid. Just dude, they just don't care. She's just a she's just some worker. But but if they're trying to like of whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We've been doing this for a while now, this this series, and I I still shake my head. I just like as I'm reading or Yeah. Doing the research and writing. Yeah. That's awful. Even though I know what's going to happen, I'm just still like, fuck it, goddamn, dude. I know. Same here. You're going to turn into a Halloween prop soon. I mean, fuck. That's so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Literally. (laughs) So Catherine had noticed the other girls heading off to be examined one day. But when she went to join them, Mr. Reed, the superintendent, told her that she was excluded. She asked Mr. Reed to be examined several times as her limp was a concern, but he always refused. When she went to see another doctor about her limp, he thought that it might be rheumatism. At 27, she found this to be unlikely, but she knew something was wrong. She couldn't help but think of Peg Looney, who had died in 1929. Diphtheria was cited as the cause of death. What Catherine probably did not know was that Peg's family had hired a lawyer named Omira to bring suit against Radium Dial. But after one hearing in 1930, Omira dropped the case. Very few seemed to be willing to go up against the radium industry. 
Peg's family just gave up in the end. Well, I mean, also the statute of limitations, I mean, with within the workforce, I mean, that was a huge roadblock. So, I mean, the lawyers, rightfully so, I, I, I my hands are tied. What are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, they might have seen those stipulations and just said, you know, like, this is this is a lose. Like, this is lost already. You know, right. I already know. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like the benchmark case, and like that's. Whew. Well, the be- that's... that benchmark case hasn't hadn't come yet. Right. Well, I'm just saying, like taking oh, on yeah, yeah. on the case just in general. It's, oh, it, for it was sure, an yeah. unprecedented situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So back in Orange, New Jersey, even though Catherine Schaub and the other Orange girls had, in some respects, won their case against USRC, things didn't really seem to change. Nor did their lives get any easier. Catherine had ultimately been forced to move to the city of Newark. She couldn't work and was mostly living off her $600 annuity from the settlement, which is about $8,515 in today's money. But this meant having to move to the city and be closer to the doctors. And she had lived out like in the country at the time or like in mm-hmm. a rural city or a rural town. And she, she, hate, she didn't like living in the city. Yeah. You know, so she was basically forced to make that move. She could only move around now with the help of a cane. One day, she slipped and fell hard on her knee. If it had been a normal person, it would have been painful and maybe bruised, but that would be it. For Catherine, the radium had been weakening her bones. The bone fractured, and when she went to get it x-rayed, the doctor told her that she had a sarcoma of the knee. So, sarcoma, like if you guys don't, if, if people don't know... Um, it's like a really broad term for a type of cancer and it, it can, it begins in the bones and then it can move to the soft tissue or it can begin in the soft tissue, like connective tissues. And it's God, it can, it, it's so many varieties of sarcomas, but one thing that happens is it'll start to swell and it'll swell a lot Ugh. and become really painful. So like a, like a tumor basically. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially what it is. It's it's a type of cancer that becomes a swelling tumor. Well, once again, some of the worst things I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So her leg never fully healed, even after months of being encased in plaster, because they were just trying to mend that bone. Yeah. And she was told that she would have to wear a metal brace probably for the rest of her life. Ma'am, did you take a trip to the Galapagos or anywhere exotic? Were you bit by a Komodo dragon or something? Because I just can't figure it out. (laughs) Something more supernatural, perhaps? Mm, Did you maybe piss off a witch? Mm? (laughs) So Catherine also developed an intense sensitivity to light, and she began to venture out very little. And, you know, like all this just sent her into a spiral of depression and mental anguish that just kind of went along with her physical pain. Vampire, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so horrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bitter on the knee. Yep. Oh, poor baby. As they do. (laughs) (laughs) So the committee of three doctors appointed by the courts and USRC to treat the girls were getting frustrated with them. They had begun to resist the committee's treatments and suggestions. Doctors Ewing, Craver, and Crumbar were the doctors on the committee, and they were the ones who made sure the girls were fulfilling their end of the settlement agreement. And that guy just has a very unfortunate last name. 
Crumbar? Crumbar. Ooh, Crumbar. <laughs> that sounds like something from like Alice in Wonderland or something. It does. <laughs> mm-hmm. So remember, if the girls stopped seeing the committee or the committee deemed that they no longer had radium poisoning, um, USRC would cease payments. And the girls were being defiant, going to see doctors that they felt had their best interests in mind. But this stubbornness might cost them their settlements. So they it's were like, ordered- It's like, go see a proper doctor and save your life or get the money. Like, what, is, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, I mean, like, they, they were ordered to stop seeing their trusted doctors, like Dr. Humphreys, if they wanted their expenses paid for. And it's like, like you said, it's a really hard choice because they didn't trust the committee um, or most of it. You know, one doctor was chosen by USRC, one by mm-hmm. the girls, and one who was supposed to be unbiased. But two of the doctors were said to be skeptical of radium poisoning from the beginning. Right. So, of, cor- yeah. of course, you don't trust the committee. Like, two of them are, are already not really on your side. Yeah, they're That's kind the most- of de- denying radium, radium poisoning, I think we... We mentioned in the last episode. <laughs> They're diagnosing everything but radium poisoning. That's the most asinine shit ever. It's like it's almost comparable to like um the the sexual allegations against um Woody Allen and like all of the child psychiatrists were hired by his team and so they just completely fudged it. All of the interviews and everything was deemed a certain way because of that. Like it's just it happens all the time in cases. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we saw it in the last episode um, with uh, Dr. Dickhead. Ah, oh, fuck, what's his name? Oh, yeah, I can't remember his name either. Anyway, the, fuckface. you know, that, yeah, <laughs> Dr. Fuckface. Yeah, but um, the one that USRC had hired who actually turned out to not be a doctor at all. Yeah. But he used his, like, I guess his professional status to, to mislead. You know, t- yeah. basically to find it, find an answer that fit the narrative of the company. Right. Because oh. he was their little crony. So since the stock market crash, the settlement money and the paid medical treatment by USRC was more important than ever to the women. Because yeah. most of them hadn't been working, you know, yeah. sometimes for years. And their husbands and family members were also losing work because of mm-hmm. the effects of the depression. And their previous medical bills were, I mean, you know, yeah. they still had to pay that stuff, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine so. So even though the company was moaning about every medical expense, they were actually doing quite well. The stock market had crashed, but the demand for radium dials and products had not. They were still making a great profit on the dials and their radium tonics and medicines. Even when the girls' stories had hit the media... There was a slight dip, but it seemed to have passed. People just kind of forgot. Magical radium. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's magical. <laughs> In early 1930, one of the orange girls, Irene Corby Laporte, was wheeled into the hospital. Irene had had three miscarriages by this time. And when she and her husband tried again, it was difficult and painful for her as she had some swelling in her vagina. She went to see Dr. Humphreys, who found a sarcoma in her pelvis. She began to decline rapidly after that. As Irene's sister recalls, quote, Her whole leg inside began to swell rapidly and paralyzed her. She was getting worse every minute. <sighs> Irene was admitted to the hospital, 
but the doctors could do little for her aside from pain mitigation. They found it hard to do a vaginal examination, quote, on account of the tumor blocking the entrance to her genitals. Dr. Martin. this girl? Oh God, she was like in her, she's in her 20s. God damn. Dr. Martlin was called that April to see Irene, quote, extremely emaciated and filled with a huge sarcoma. Martlin broke the news to Irene's husband, Vincent, that she did have radium poisoning, and he suspected that she only had six weeks to live. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell Irene, but she probably had an idea. Yeah. As Martlin had done before, he wanted to bring his new findings about radium poisoning to light, that these sarcomas were a new phase of radium poisoning that appear years after exposure to radium. He stated, quote, When I first described this disease, there was a strong tendency among some of those interested in the production and therapeutic use of radium to place the entire blame on mesothorium. In the cases autopsied recently, the mesothorium has disappeared, while the radium persists. I am now of the opinion that the normal radioactivity of the human body should not be increased. To do so is dangerous. Mm. So that sounds like a court. It sounds like nowadays, like, of course. <laughs> like, yeah. Of course you but, you know, yeah. this is the 20s, you know, like radium, radiation and stuff wasn't, you know, it wasn't, much wasn't it. as. Yeah, yeah. It was, we're just beginning to know things about it. Yeah. And, you know, mesothorium is that. God, I don't really understand this shit. I'm not like a scientist, chemist. you know. Yeah, I'm not a chemist. But from what I understand, mesothorium is a byproduct, an isotopic byproduct of radium, if I understand. So like okay. when, so so it's like, it's a different type of isotope, but it it's like, it decays as well. So when he's saying the mesothorium, which is dangerous, that mm-hmm. decays. But the radium, since it has such a long half-life, is still there. So that's actually, you know, the mesothorium is dangerous, but the radium is is long-term dangerous, I guess. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I God, yeah, tell me if I'm wrong, please, anybody who knows more about this I shit know, than I do. I, I've always wanted to be good at chemistry, but I'm not. Oh, me either. <laughs> Irene was nearing her end. On May 4th, she filed a claim against USRC, but noted that she was willing to settle. But things would not work out for her. She died on June 16th, 1931. Uh. When she died, Martlin said that her tumor had gotten so large that, quote, the whole mass was larger than two footballs. Irene's husband, Vincent, would labor on to battle USRC in the courts, but it would take years. Martlin made a final statement about the new phase of sarcomas. Any of the girls who had ever dealt with radium paint were at risk of getting these sarcomas down the road. Quote, I believe before we get through, the number will be appalling. I mean, that's can the you number just, affected. I was just thinking when they when they kept trying talking about them keeping trying having children, like they must have really, really wanted children, must have really loved each other. You know, they must have really wanted this life together. And like, it's just so wonderful that the husband just was like just fought for justice because he probably watched this beauty this love of his life like nativity all of that just like bastardized corrupted just deformed in the craziest way i can't imagine what that's like yeah i mean and not knowing why really and not knowing why 
Yeah, I mean, th- these these companies just, I mean, not only just destroyed these young girls' lives, but I mean, their families, their spouses, their children. I mean, it, I mean just left a wake of just, you know, tra- tra- traumatized people. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, that's, and that's always the thing to remember of the story. I mean, these girls are like in their 20s most of the time. Yeah, I know. You know, like like their lives haven't even really gotten and, going okay, yet. Any listener, if you're if you're not in your twenties or if you're in your late twenties, look back at pictures of yourself in your early twenties and just remember how fabulous you look, no matter how fat or skinny or whatever you think about yourself. You look beautiful. It's it's true. Yeah. Like yeah. you're gorgeous, even if you didn't <laughs> think so. So yeah. It's just amazing. Yep. And then th- that, that all gets taken away from you, you know? <sighs> yeah. <sighs> Indeed. Yeah. So Catherine Wolf in Ottawa, Illinois, was about to get her first taste of how callous radium dial and the radium industry could be. God, this part pisses me off so fucking much. Yeah. The company president and vice president, Mr. Kelly and Mr. Fordyce, respectively, had come by the studio while Catherine was working. She was limping quite badly now, and getting to and from work was becoming more difficult. She had just sat down at her desk when she noticed Mr. Reed and the executives looking at her and whispering to one another. She was called into Mr. Reed's office shortly after that. Catherine was nervous as she hobbled into the office, the executives and her boss staring down at her as she sat down. Mr. Reed apologized saying her work was satisfactory, but they had to let her go. She was confused and asked why she was being let go if her work was satisfactory. Quote, It's your being here in a limping condition, unquote. It was causing talk and hurting the company's image, Reed went on. She was told to leave. Nine years she had given to the company, only for them to let her go, during the Depression no less, for being sick. She would not forget it. Oh my god. Dude, just fucking dickheads, dude. Oh my god, just I just want to reiterate one more time. Just be happy to be living in the time you're living. Just a little bit. Yeah. I know dude, this that shit there's not still happens justice. to fucking people. Oh my it god. It does still happen, Ooh. yes. But there's still a lot more you can do about it if you really want to fight for it. But Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, she'll she's definitely gonna fight for it. Cause nowadays, if that fucking happened, you could just take them for everything they're worth. Like, I mean, you could really sue somebody for that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more laws to to aid you if you did decide to yeah. go to court. Mm-hmm. For sure. By February of 1933 in Orange, New Jersey, Catherine Schaub was doing better in spirits, anyway. The tumor on her leg had worsened and was now pushing through her skin, and part of her femur was protruding out of the wound. The previous year, she had stayed in a private sanatorium, which did wonders for her nerves. She had finished her memoir and even had an excerpt published in a magazine, but she still had to make the journey into Orange to see Dr. Humphreys. The committee appointed by the court was getting tired of the girl's stubbornness, and USRC was getting tired of paying for all these medical bills. Oh, you tired of paying for medical oh, bills? No. The four Fuckers. remaining women in the Orange case had received notices that USRC would not be paying any medical bills unless it was approved by the committee. They would also not be paying for home nurse visits or routine office visits. 
USRC made it clear that they felt the women were exploiting the company's good intentions. And they were suffering economic hardships as well, as all the country was. I think these guys need a wambulance, really. Yeah, bad. it's... Dude, Jesus Christ, I think yeah. they need a, I think they need a Wamburger and a side of French fries. Dude, they need a butt chug some wine, man. Maybe Jeez. you can you can maybe you can get it for forty nine cents, ten cents. You know, it's depression, but figure it out. Yeah, it, it you know it's like as we said previously, it's such bullshit. They were doing well, you know, yeah, in business wise. But it wouldn't be bullshit for long. In March of nineteen thirty two, Eben Byers, a wealthy businessman and socialite, died of radium poisoning. He had a back injury in nineteen twenty seven and a doctor prescribed Radithor, a radium-infused tonic. He was so impressed that he ended up ingesting several thousand bottles. Did this doctor also pull, like, fake snakes out of his jacket and, like... <laughs> Leeches. Do, like, a... Oh, gotcha! <laughs> no, but he did sell it to me out of the back of a wagon. <laughs> I mean, should be fine. Yeah. So after a while, he grew deathly ill. Because you would expect. Mm-hmm. But before he died, he gave evidence to the Federal Trade Commission that the radium tonic had caused his illness. Because Byers was such a high-profile and wealthy man, authorities moved much more quickly than with the girls. Well, thank Keyword, goodness. Man. Fucking turd. Where public opinion had not been swayed very much after the women's case, and some sided with USRC that it was a scheme made up by the women. Now, with the death of Byers... Things declined very quickly for USRC. And I'm going to read this quote uh, from Moore, just kind of all the things that happened to really fuck USRC super hard. So, quote, in December 1931, the FTC issued a cease and desist order against Radithor. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration would go on to declare radium medicines illegal. Finally, the American Medical Association removed the internal use of radium from its list of new and non-official remedies, where it had remained even after the discovery of the dial painter's deaths. It seemed wealthy consumers were much more worthy of protecting than working-class girls. After all, dial painting was still going on, even in 1933. (sighs) Unquote. So these regulations in the publicity from Bayer's case ruined USRC. They were the main supplier for radium products, and these changes landed a huge blow to them. USRC ended up raising the orange plant and studio in August of 1932 after no one wanted to buy it. Um, You know, and you think that the girls would really celebrate the destruction of the studio that had brought so much like pain and suffering. But it's bittersweet. Yeah. You know, they tried to live out their lives as best they could. Catherine Schaub received the unfortunate news from Dr. Humphreys that her leg had gotten so bad that an amputation was necessary. After some consideration, she agreed. But as the surgery day grew closer, Catherine's condition worsened, and a surgery was no longer safe to perform. On February 18th, 1933, Catherine succumbed to her illness. She was 30 years old. And on an even sadder note, and this is fucking crazy. Oh, no. Two days before her funeral, her father fell down a flight of stairs. And he was rushed to the hospital, but died shortly after. Their funerals were held on the same day. Yeah. Fucking yikes. (laughs) Catherine would not be the only orange girl to die that year. 
Grace passed away in October of 1933 from radium sarcoma. Hmm. So despite everything that had gone on in New Jersey, the deaths, illnesses, and lies, uh, many people in Ottawa, Illinois were still behind Radium Dial. They had done good work with their ad and smear campaigns. They put out ads that would alleviate Ottawa's fears that their radium company was involved with any wrongdoing. Their plant was safe. Peg Looney and the other girls, they didn't die from radium poisoning. And they were always quick to mention the jobs and industry they brought to the town. And, you know, in, in these tough times, they must have seemed like a godsend to many. Yeah. Dang, that's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of had this town, like, kind of by the balls a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they did. So Catherine Wolfe had just married her husband, Tom, in 1932. She was now Catherine Wolfe Donahue. By 1933, what we have said so often in the series happened. Her health began to further deteriorate. Unlike the doctors in New Jersey, many of the doctors in Ottawa had no real experience with radium poisoning. Catherine went to see doctors, but they assured her it was not radium poisoning, nor did they think her, op- her occupation was responsible. It was simply a hangnail. Yeah. <laughs> what are you it's bitching? but a scratch. <laughs> yeah. Two of Catherine's friends, former employees of Radium Dial, Mary Rossetter and Charlotte Purcell, were also showing symptoms, symptoms, tender jaws and aching limbs and bones. When they spoke with each other about it, they began to suspect what the girls in orange could have told them. The radium paint and the company were to blame. The bills for Catherine's doctor visits were piling up, so much so that Tom thought that they might have to mortgage their home. Wanting to do what he could for his wife, Tom contacted a doctor in Chicago to see Catherine. The other girls did the same, but they were just as puzzled as the doctors in Ottawa. A lump had appeared in Charlotte's arm. It was growing and becoming so painful, the doctor told her they would have to amputate the arm if she wanted to live. She was 25 and had three children. She couldn't leave it up to chance. Her arm was amputated at the shoulder. Her arm was so odd to the doctors, in fact, that they preserved it in formaldehyde to study. Ooh. Yeah. To this day? Um, I don't know if they still have it. Uh, one of the, the hospital might or something, you know. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really read about what happened to the arm. Um, it was just the sarcoma and everything was just so odd. Um, yeah. I think because they, they didn't know really much about the radium in, in Ottawa. So no. they must have been like, what the fuck is this thing? Like, yeah, what yeah. is happening here? Yeah, what is happening to this young girl? God, it, and it, dude, so fucked up. They couldn't even put on a prosthetic because they amputated it at the shoulder. So there was the shoulder, nothing yeah. at the time to connect it to. So she just didn't, she just had no, no other assistance from that. Ugh. Yep. One of the doctors, Charles Loeffler, finally had a diagnosis for the Donahues. He must have done his homework, as he said that her x-rays showed evidence of radium poisoning. And it was becoming clear that Radium Dial knew more than they were saying. Tom was furious. And when he saw Mr. and Mrs. Reed in town, um, it's the the couple, the superintendent and his wife. Yeah. Um, They're basically like the bosses of of that studio. Um, So Tom confronted them. Mr. Reed denied any wrongdoing, even while looking at Catherine's withering body. 
Dr. Loeffler also tried to contact Radium Dial. He phoned the vice president, Fordyce, directly. Loeffler told him what he had found and that he might want to investigate the other employees. This was not surprising to Fordyce. They knew what the Radium was doing to the girls. They had known since 1928. They even had a list of women ranging from most radioactive to least. Um, and that was like the exams they did. They had kept it all a secret. Yeah. So, and that was one reason they didn't let Catherine, they didn't test Catherine, right? Because yeah. they, they knew the signs. So yeah. they were like, well, we don't even want to have that on, on our record. Yeah, you know? USRC uh, pulled the same shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only usually testing the ones that looked healthy. Yep. But the ones that looked healthy were radioactive. Yes, they were. So do they infect, does, does, it, does it permeate and infect other people from a body? Um, you know, I think it has to be direct contact, but, True. you know, that's not to say like some radioactivity might not, um, emit and maybe, you know, yeah. affect, affect you a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, as far as I know, none of the husbands or anybody close ever had, oh, um, mm -hmm. but some of the children did, but usually they were born, you know, when the women oh, were already sure, sure. in contact with the radium. Right. Yeah. So no one in Ottawa was very helpful. The doctors there kept telling the girls they didn't have radium poisoning, and many local lawyers wouldn't help them bring a case. It may be speculation, but it would not be surprising if payoffs and favors were exchanged for silence. Yeah. When the girls finally found someone to file suit on their behalf, the town turned against the women at this news. Mm. How could they take advantage of the company who had helped the town so much? I'm sure rumors of the New Jersey women and their scheming against USRC had kind of fueled their reactions, you know? Yeah. Like, it was, it was wanting to fit the narrative, your narrative, and protect a company whose, I mean, the livelihood of your town has kind of depended on. Right. But Catherine, Charlotte, Marie, and Inez Vallet pushed on with the suit asking for 50000 each, which is about $885,000 each. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. God, that would just cover medical bills. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah, no, no shit. No, seriously, you guys. I went to the hospital earlier this year, and I got my bill recently. And luckily, I only have to pay like 1000 But for just an emergency room visit, $10,000. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And then can you imagine like prolonged care like this? Like, of course, that's going to cover it. Specialists and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Christ. So Catherine pushed for this the hardest as she had just learned that she was pregnant with her second child. Jay Cook was the lawyer who took the case in 1934. He filed two suits. One was with the normal law courts and the second was with the Illinois Industrial Commission. And as one would expect, Radium Dial tried the same tricks as USRC. They found loopholes and exploited them. For one, the statute of limitations posed an issue. Moore explains that, quote, Inez had filed suit years after she left Radium Dial, and her disability did not occur while she was employed. In addition, radium is a poison, and poisons are not covered under workers' compensation claims. The wording for the law... Two is vague, indefinite, 
and did not furnish an intelligible standard of conduct, according to Radium Dial, unquote. So, yeah, it was kind of like we talked about earlier. There, there were these, the, the law was so vague and the statute of limitations and all these other kind of stop gaps really, I mean, it kind of fucked it from the beginning. Yeah. In early 1935, after some time in the courts, they ruled that the law was not clear enough to find Radium Dial guilty. Legal technicalities had lost the case for the women. Both cases were lost. Cook had to abandon the fight as well, as the financial strain became too great. Um, he was basically doing this as charity. Yeah. Um, he, was, he was basically paying for everything to try to help, try to help these girls. The women carried on looking for possible cures and representation. Catherine gave birth to her daughter, but another important event happened that year. Irene Laporte's case finally had a ruling, and this is one of the big cases. This is the one back in, um, in New Jersey. Yeah. A case that her husband, Vincent, had been fighting for years. It was a case USRC had fought hard against as well. This is the girl that had all the miscarriages and the horrible... And she died, but her husband kept fighting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they didn't deny that Radium was to blame, but cited the statute of limitations. Quote, Once Irene's employment was terminated, the USRC lawyer stated, All duty we had to that girl as our employee ceased. There is no relation afterwards. She is a perfect stranger. Unquote. Many of the New Jersey girls had testified at her trial, and their own cases hinged on the ruling in this case. The judge stated, quote, Naturally, there is no question as to where the sympathies of any human being would lie in a case of this sort. It is tempting, in the light of the knowledge today, to create the thought that the company must have been negligent in some way. Today, industrial methods, which the company then employed, would not be merely negligent, but criminal. But it should be carefully noted that this case must be decided on the facts, as they existed in the light of the knowledge of 1917. A court has no power to adjust the law to meet the needs of a time when no such case as this could have been foreseen. He concluded bluntly, the case must be dismissed. Wait, so in layman's terms, he's saying, we don't really know what's going on. Science isn't knowing what's going on. No, he's basically saying they should be guilty. He's basically saying they are guilty, but they didn't know about radium poisoning when the company started, so we can't hold them accountable. Even though they knew, at least by the mid-late 20s, what radium was doing. That logic would never stand now because they should know that things are dangerous before exposing people. And they did know. Legal technicalities, man. I mean, people people get let go all the time because of them. Yeah. You know, mi- mistrials. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's every- Everybody knows it's fucked, but nobody wants to do anything about it. The justice cool. system is crazy crackhead circus, man. It's it nuts. really is. It's, mm-hmm. it's fucking just, God, it's disgusting. I don't know. It's how disgusting. Do it. I don't even, I yeah, don't, I don't even know yeah. what to say. I mean, yeah. pe- but the, there are so many good people that are in it that are in it for the right reasons. Absolutely. But, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's just hard, right? You know, you you, mm-hmm. you have those people working against that who really know how to manipulate the system. 
Yeah. One of my best friends from high school, she she's a lawyer, but she fights mostly, I, I believe, for, like, marriages and children and things like that. And, like, you know, just really yeah. protecting protecting welfare of people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, th- and that kind of law isn't necessarily as lucrative as other kinds of law can be. A year later, in Ottawa, Inez Vallet died. Like we heard at the beginning of our series, she died from, quote, a hemorrhaging sarcoma in her neck, bleeding out as a medic desperately tried to staunch the flow of blood. Unquote. <laughs> Which is still, like, one of the fucking worst ways I no, can think of. You're just choking on your own first blood. first episode, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it was basically the same thing. <sighs> the Ottawa women were hit hard. Losing their cases, the ruling in New Jersey, and Inez's death seemingly all at once. There was some coverage of Inez, and a weak amendment was made to include industrial poisoning to the Illinois Occupation Diseases Act, but very few saw justice being achieved. Even from politicians, it was a lot of sympathy, but no real sense of urgency or call to action. The remaining Ottawa women were interviewed about their sufferings, and Tom helped get three federal investigations opened with the Secretary of Labor. Tom was so incensed by what was happening that the next time he saw Mr. Reed in the street, he demanded the test results of the women from 1928. Reed, <laughs> angry and defensive, takes a swing at Tom. The two men <gasps> get into a, a bitch. <laughs> The two men get into a fight in the street. Tom was arrested and charged with assault, disorderly conduct, and even insanity. The charges hope, didn't go anywhere, but... <laughs> I hope Reed was all, like, started crying really hard and stuff, <laughs> and, like, you know, just being... Like, <laughs> you bitch! <laughs> I'll show you! <laughs> I'll show you! <laughs> So by December of 1936, Radium Dial knew it was a good time to pack up and leave. They left Ottawa, as did the Reeds. <laughs> the Reeds are just like, yeah, we can't stay in this town. Mm-mm. You fucking bitch. <laughs> but the girls wouldn't let them slip away that easy. They pushed on for justice. Good. All right, I'm going to take over from here. Yeah, you Woo! are. Take us All to right. the end. Yep. We, are at, we are at a bus stop and Heather... <laughs> Is now taking the wheel. Burp, burp. Everybody get your snacks and then hop back on. You got your fare? Got your bus pass? <laughs> so the Ottawa girls were having a hell of a time getting representation for their case to help Catherine Donahue, Catherine Wolf. These Ottawa girls, Marie Rossiter, Pearl Payne, and Francis and Marguerite Glasinski, traveled to Chicago to see lawyer Leonard Grossman a big-shot lawyer who had been referred to them by Cook. Grossman was passionate about the working man and represented workers' comp cases, with no care if he made big bucks or not. He enthusiastically accepted to represent them. In fact, he paid for all the legal proceedings himself. And this dude's, oh, like, can... such a character, too. Oh, my God, I can just, yes. I was just thinking about him, like, at his desk, just, like, fidgeting, like, hearing his story, just, like, stomping his feet every once in a while and being like, oh, yeah, I'll take this case. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> oh, God, know? that's the most awful thing I ever heard. All right, I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just an interesting tidbit, um, Grossman's son has a website and a lot of the newspaper clippings that Grossman saved over the years and pictures are on that website. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, do, do you remember what it's called? 
I don't, but um, we will definitely post the link. Oh, cool. For sure. Yeah, it's cool. Grossman gave it all he had as he went to bat for them. One of the biggest hurdles was the difficulty in securing medical records for the woman. Nothing would deter him, though. He worked diligently and tirelessly, sometimes putting in 18-hour days to work on the women's cases. I can just hear him on the phone with the secretary, and he's like, would you stop just breaking my balls, you know, <laughs> you know Chelsea? You got to just give me them documents, you know, just, just hey, how much is it paying you? How much is it paying you? I don't sleep. You don't sleep. (laughs) (laughs) He served notice to Radium Dial that they would have to produce all results of the physicals given to the dial painters to present in court with the IIC. And that's the Illinois Industrial Commission. Uh, Grossman wanted to know how long the company actually knew what was happening to their employees. His research and work to prepare for the case would take them through the fall and winter of 1937. During this time, Catherine Donahue was declining rapidly. She could no longer climb the stairs, so Tom Donahue brought their heavy iron bed downstairs to the living room, and he slept on the couch at the foot of it. Dude, Tom is just like the best fucking husband, dude. I know, dude. I was... When I was writing this, that's what made me cry when I was reading about him. Yeah, he's great. I, w- this I was is like, a cheesy, <laughs> this is it's a so cheesy sad. thing, but love is truly wonderful in this world. It's, 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 I don't know what the meaning of life is, but that's certainly got to be a part of it. I mean, honestly, that might Definitely. be one thing that keeps Catherine, you know, going mm-hmm. for and as long as she does. She's a tank, dude. Yeah, she is a fucking tank, dude. And Tom's just like, Baby, I love you so much. I will beat the shit out of your old boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will punch his little fat red face in. Oh, good. <laughs> Catherine could do little more than lay there in her suffering. Her family members were pained by how thin and weak she looked, and it was difficult for Catherine to see the looks on their faces when they came to visit her. She wrote to Pearl, quote, I suffer so much pain that at times, I feel my life was pretty hard to bear, end quote. Upon examination early in 1938, it was found the tumor on her hip had grown to the size of a grapefruit, but the doctors did not tell her this. They wanted her to rest. Like you didn't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they... they I never con- had fruit inside of my body before, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, I oh, think you're, it was... Oh, you're looking good. What is this? Right, yeah. I, and, I, and I think it was more or less they didn't let her know that that, that was real fucking bad and that yeah, was no, most yeah, certainly going to be uh, the death of her. I just I just heard that yeah. and thought it was just like... Dude, reminds me of like, not, not to be horrible, but just like the parts in, in movies where they're like, you know, someone's in Vietnam and they're they're they got a they got a palm frond over their their stomach wound and they're like, how bad is it? How bad is it, Doc? <laughs> and then they pull it over and it's just gushing blood like fucking ground beef mess. And, You're gonna be and fine, like, man. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> We're gonna. You remember those slots you told me about on, on Coney Island? You're gonna go play them. <laughs> we're we're definitely gonna go, man. We just gotta get you home. <laughs> <laughs> slowly passes away horribly. tell yeah. my wife tell my wife tell her yourself 
Scene. You don't quit on me. <laughs> so despite the horrors Catherine Donahue was living, she was determined to have her day in court in front of the IIC. Fuck yeah, she was. Yeah, girl. She wanted Radium Dial to be held accountable. Grossman determined that she would be the first litigant and would be the test case that would help determine future proceedings. See, and he was really smart here because Catherine was probably the worst off of, of all of them. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's like, oh, th- she is the focus. She's the focal point of this case, right. of the trial. Is and she the like, one that all the... Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, is she the one with all the primary like photographs of her laying in bed? And yeah. yeah. <laughs> most, of the, most of those really famous ones are, are her. I yeah. was wondering that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that was, um, you know, a move that Grossman made that really, I mean, it, he was smart. It, it helped out a lot. Yeah. I mean, he he thought certainly she's going to be the next person to die. So we need to get this. We need to get mm-hmm. her case out there. Yeah. And her condition makes the urgency that much more apparent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that does help in the case, like oh, pushing it along. Mm-hmm. On February 10th, 1938. The court was thrumming with journalists and photographers. The story had become sensational. Before Catherine took the stand, Grossman made his opening statements. Now, Grossman was a truly righteous, God-fearing patriot of a man, and he made some powerful statements. I love reading his quotes and and what he wrote in his briefs. It's just amazing. (laughs) Yeah, dude. He, (laughs) He said, quote, Human lives were saved among our country's army of defense because Catherine Donahue painted luminous dials on instruments for our forces. To make life safe, she and her co-workers are among the living dead. They have sacrificed their own lives. Truly an unsung heroine of our country. Our state and country owes her a debt. End quote. So let me ask you a question. Um, You hate America? You hate America? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me? Excuse me? You know, I don't want to say anything, but, um, you know, if you do not find this company guilty, I think you hate America. I think you hate our soldiers. Okay, guys. (laughs) Who would would play Grossman in a movie? Man, that's tough. I don't know. I can see it in my head, but I can't remember the person's name. So there's this actor that, like, everybody knows, Richard Kind. Do you guys know who Richard Kind is? Ooh, he's in so movie. much shit. The name is but, familiar. Yeah, he's but he would actually be great. I think he'd okay, be great okay, as Grossman. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen Richard Kind? He's like he's been in Star Trek. Um, he was in that movie Inside Out as like one of the voices. <gasps> he would be really good. I I Grossman <laughs> is like Richard Kind, and his voice would be great too. I know. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we figured it out. 100%. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're getting derailed here. <laughs> Catherine weighed just over 70 pounds and looked haggard, old, and frail. Tom and Clarence Witt, Olive's husband, carried her to the stand. In a weak and quiet tone, Catherine gave her testimony with her friends seated close by. She explained the practice of lip-pointing recalled the ad that Radium Dial had put out to soothe the public's fears, and told the court that when she had asked her employers for her test results, they had refused. 
She had also brought two pieces of jawbone that had fallen out to show the court. Yep. Kelly. Signed, sealed, delivered. Damn. Right? Mm-hmm. Kelly, the president of Radium Dial, revealed that the company was unable to obtain insurance since 1928 because of what had been going on in the radium industry with the dial painters. They had been turned down by 10 firms. Kelly explained that this put the company in a tough financial position, saying this with seemingly no care for the women suffering before him. Dude, it's <laughs> he's it's like he's basically like we couldn't get insurance because the radium was dangerous and all the and, insurance firms knew it yeah exactly they're all like yeah well we i mean we're not gonna take this on this is like you know this is gonna bleed us dry you yeah. know if you try to put it up to for the insurance and he's just and then he's just still trying to turn it around like, oh, oh i know boo, boo. give me a break yeah like well what are we supposed to do we, we don't have insurance yeah, th- this is what got me, I think, like several times this next part. Yeah. Catherine's hopes of survival were dashed in a devastating moment in court when her dentist, Dr. Dalich, testified. When Grossman asked him if her condition was fatal, Dalich simply asked if he should answer, quote, in her presence. That was all Catherine needed to know. It was confirmation that she was, in fact, incurable and terminal. This was the first time anyone had put it so plainly. All faith that she had held on to for hope of survival died. Poor guy was just trying to be considerate. Yeah. She screamed and sobbed right in the courtroom and collapsed. Oh. Yeah. Because, like, a, a lot of, you know, the girls... The doctors didn't, like, tell them everything all the time. You know, I think we've kind of, like, that's kind of been known throughout these series. But, like, some of them were still holding out hope that, you know, I mean, like, as anybody would, right? Like, maybe somebody's going to find a cure. Maybe I'll be able to make it. And, yeah, Yeah. man, I mean, God, that's just, yeah, I mean, fucking just crushingly devastating yeah i was ugly crying when i listened to that the first time (laughs) it was bad oh yeah i think that was kate moore really just just gets in the head of of oh man it's awful yeah she really does yeah that's definitely i think one of the moments at work where i was trying to like not cry in front of co-workers yeah (laughs) just like don't you you're you're man you're man <laughs> merman thanks for thanks for taking it for the team guys that's really, that's really oh awesome. no, it's a no no book. i mean re- recommended yeah highly highly yeah. recommended so Catherine was not able to return to the courtroom after that her husband tom returned to take her place for the rest of the day he had to sit there and listen to doctor after doctor say that his wife had no chance of living and had little time left. Catherine wasn't done, though. Although her fragile state had sent her back to the confines of her bed, she still wanted to press on and continue her testimony. It was then that Grossman suggested that that they continue the hearing at Catherine's bedside the following day. The judge agreed. Wow, good idea. Yeah. Poor thing. The next morning, Catherine was ready to go, and the hearing resumed. She said, quote, It is too late for me. 
but maybe it will help some of the others. If I win this fight, my children will be safe, and my friends who worked with me and contracted the same disease will win too. End quote. As Catherine laid in her bed, two of the other girls, Charlotte and Pearl, sat in the room with her. Surrounding her bed were the lawyers, the judge, and Grossman's assistant, taking notes. Tom nervously tried to shield their three- and four-year-old children from what was happening in their living room. Catherine continued with her testimony, and even demonstrated lip-pointing using one of her children's paintbrushes. When asked if the dial painters had ever been told not to use this technique by their employers, she simply said that the only warning they had been given was not to let the grease from their lunches that they often ate at their workstations spot the dials. After Catherine completed her testimony, the other girls were called to give theirs, one at a time. And all the while, the radium dial's lawyer, Arthur Majid, objected to their statements. Over the two days, 14 witnesses offered their testimonies, and Grossman rested their case. Radium Dial called no witnesses. They had no evidence to present. They had nothing but the constant mantra that radium was not poisonous. A soulless defense for a soulless company. The hearing was closed since there was nothing left to present. Now all the girls had to do was wait for the verdict. Yeah, and, man, and their like faces are melting off from that statement. Because I, I, I think they just knew they were fucked. Burn. Yeah, I, I, you know, like it, it almost seemed like they didn't even try. No, no, it was just weak, weak. Yeah, there was nothing. I mean, they had nothing. I yeah. think after, I think they had kind of started a little strong. You know, I think yeah. just kind of waiting to see what happened. But I think okay. after, I mean, basically the show that just kind of happens in the courtroom like this, this fucking, you know, human drama that unfolds. Mm -hmm. They are just like, I don't know. They're probably like, fuck, we can't do anything. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're already lost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We just, we just mutilated human beings in all the worst ways. Oh, I don't think they felt yeah. pity. I think they just knew legally, like in the court, they were just, you know, well, yeah, nothing. there was just no defense for that kind of like a, just what, what the atrocities they had done to the human body, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The media had swarmed the Donahue home. And there are photographs from this final day of the hearing. The news coverage of this case had been widespread. The women, who now called themselves the Living Dead Society, had become, quote, poster girls for workers' rights, end quote. Grossman filed his legal brief of the case to Judge Marvel. And the media ate that up, too. So just just to say, Living Dead Society, fucking, that's a good band name. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> coverage of the Radium Girls competed on the front pages of newspapers with coverage of the war and the Nazis. It was that sensational. Wow, Damn, dude, wouldn't you love to get a fucking one of those papers oh from my back gosh. then? Has yes. like the trial, it's got shit about the Nazis, like, damn. Man, yeah. and I, I find old newspapers all the time in furniture and things at estate sales. They're just over the years, I've always found for, uh, uh, newspapers. That'd be so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Catherine was still hopeful that there would be a treatment that would work for her. However... It didn't take long for her condition to take yet another nosedive. She could do nothing but lie still in her bed, 
suffering terribly. She moaned in pain constantly. She took solace in the letters and gifts and well-wishes that people who had read her story sent to her. Finally, on March 28th, Grossman filed his final brief. He wrote passionately and did not hold back. He wrote, quote, I cannot imagine a fiend fresh from the profoundest depths of perdition committing such an unnatural crime as the Radium Dial Company did. Get him! My God! Is the radium industry utterly destitute of shame? Get is the Radium Dial Company utterly dominated by a beast? Get him! It is an offense against morals and humanity, and just incidentally, against the law. Oh. I know, I love him. <laughs> Get him off. <laughs> you Judge know he was just fucking selling it, too. He's just like, there's an offense against morals and humanity and against the law. And he, like and he capitalized morals and humanity, by the way, which is oh, yeah. a nice touch. Morals and humanity. I mean, Dang. I, I can just picture him feverishly like writing or typing this. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, he's <laughs> Oh yeah, that's good. Oh yeah, that's real good. <laughs> he he spoke colorfully. He's wonderful. Yeah, he, dude, he's a fucking character. He's awesome though. <laughs> well, Judge Marvel decided it was time for the verdict. On April 5th, 1938, Grossman received a call that it was time. And this was a little bit ahead of the scheduled day. Grossman along with Charlotte Purcell and Helen and Helen Munch arrived at the hearing in Chicago. Arthur Majid was also present, and that's uh, Radium Dial's lawyer. The judge's written verdict was read aloud by the chairman of the IIC. The judge found that Radium Dial was guilty of the charges. (laughs) The judge awarded, quote, her past medical expenses back salary for the entire period she had not been able to find employment due to her condition, damages, and an annual life pension of $277, that's forty-six fifty, for the remainder of her life, end quote. Wow. This was the maximum award possible. When a reporter went to the Donahue's house and broke the news to Catherine, she could barely react. She was so weak. Well, I'm sure exactly none of you will be surprised when I tell you that two weeks after the judgment, Radium Dial filed an appeal. Of course. Like, they knew knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. This delayed Catherine receiving any funds. And if she died before the final ruling, by law, her estate would receive nothing. What cocksuckers. Excuse me. I I never say that, except it's just... And not not the good way. Not in a not good in the way. good way. Nice way. <laughs> nothing. No, just like people that are just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Radium Dial's grounds for appeal were that they alleged the women were lying, as laid out in a statement by Mister Reed. It was fucking ridiculous. A hearing was scheduled for July tenth to judge the final verdict. Catherine was dying, but she kept holding on. She had to live long enough to know if her family would still be awarded, or if the system would fail the girls yet again. However, four days ahead of the scheduled hearing, the appeal was thrown out of court by unanimous vote. It was a joyous time for the women and their families. 
and Catherine even seemed to improve for a short time. But, yet again, Radium Dial went on to file another appeal, going above the IIC to circuit court. This was too much for Catherine. She died on July 27, 1938, the very next day after that appeal was filed. She had weighed less than 60 pounds. <gasps> Hundreds of people attended her funeral to pay their respects to this remarkable woman. Radium Dow continued to file appeal after appeal, even taking the case all the way to the Supreme Court. And Grossman continued to fight tooth and nail for them the whole way, and the case was won there in October 1939. Good. Mm-hmm. Catherine's triumph came over 14 years after Marguerite Carlo had started the fight. Catherine's case was one of the first cases that held an employer accountable for, health of, for the health of their employees. It was an incredible accomplishment that would go on to change laws and save lives for future workers. Yeah, girl. Safety standards were set for this industry just before the U.S. joined the war overseas. The Radium Girls brought awareness to looking into plutonium used in nuclear bombs as well. The surviving Radium Girls would be studied for the duration of their lives to aid in understanding radiation. Wow. Dial Painter's bodies would be exhumed decades later for studies and tests, and the remains were found to be still very radioactive. What is it? Yeah, for sure. What was it again? Like 200,000 years it takes to... Uh, like 2,500 years or something like that? Um, I think it's... I think it was like, fuck, 60,000 years or some shit? Jesus. Okay. Wasn't it like really... It was like... It was like insane. Yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure. Man. Yeah. yeah. We should know this, but... <laughs> I know. It, I... Yeah. Number of facts do not stick. <laughs> American school system, they've, they've taught me the wrong way. <laughs> but the story does not end there. And still, the radium persists. In Ottawa, Illinois, there are still to this very day 16 areas in the community that are radioactive. As chronicled in the 1987 documentary Radium City, the ill effects of radium have been felt in the town many decades later. At the time of filming, Ottawa was littered with radioactive debris from the torn-down radium dial building. Reports of family pets dying early from unnatural causes were commonplace. Wildlife was found riddled with tumors. And this was 50-plus years after the radium company shut down. Man, that's like Chernobyl, where like people would wipe their butt with like tree, like leaves and stuff, and they like there was just everybody in the surrounding area got like ass cancer. Ass cancer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Sorry, funny, but it's laugh. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shock but it it, it does uh, resemble a Chernobyl kind of thing. Shaka Khan. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Shockingly, the old radium dial building was used by another business before it was torn down. One interviewee recounts that it had at one time been a meat locker and claimed the family members who ran it mostly died of various cancers. And they were selling all that sweet radium meat. Oh, God. yeah. Delicious. Mm. 
Oh, are you talking about 7-Eleven taquitos? Is that what you're talking about? Corn dogs? That's right. Yep, they're, they're made about? in Ottawa, Illinois. That's Looks right. pretty radioactive for sure. Tyson mm-hmm. chicken patties. And in good old radium fashion, government officials had attempted to sweep the radioactive situation under the rug in order not to paint Ottawa in a bad light. The denial went on even after concerned citizens brought officials off-the-charts readings from their personal equipment and Geiger counters. In the documentary, the mayor looks terrified as he tries to deny any accountability, <laughs> feigning mass ignorance. He's just like, <gasps> like a, a 14-year-old boy at prom, just like his arms stiff to his side, just, just like, <laughs> He claimed the old radium dial site was safe and downplayed what was obviously happening. He was concerned about Ottawa's nickname, Death City. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Should have kept that. Yep. Former employees outraged began a crusade to bring attention to this situation. Most survivors had gone through testing and and had many times pleaded for something to be done. When the radium dial building was torn down in the 80s, the city opted to dump the pieces in local landfills and even behind the local school. Let the children play with it. Instead of employing proper decontamination disposal methods. The reasoning for this was because the city could not afford it. Most of the construction workers weren't even provided with protective equipment for this job. People took things from the dump sites, such as furniture and cabinetry, and used these things inside their own homes. And these pieces are obviously radioactive. Radium even found its way into the town's water supply. Although I did read, read on Wikipedia, it says that, quote, The radium in Ottawa's water supply occurs naturally in water from deep wells across northern Illinois. A reverse osmosis water treatment plant removes the radium so the city's tap water complies with federal regulations. I mean, take that as you will. Definitely mm-hmm. not added by the Ottawa Water Company. <laughs> definitely not definitely because there's not fucking radium the everywhere yeah i mean it's yeah it's wikipedia too you know it's like fucking yeah can add bullshit in there that's true oh yeah yeah <laughs> not ottawa definitely didn't make that edit <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh we do oh good it says on wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> this story is as heartbreaking as it is infuriating. Mm -hmm. There are no words to describe how horrific this situation was. Through this story, we see the entire spectrum of humanity, everything from innocence to the irrevocably corrupt. And although most of the women received very little money in in the end, which is truly the very fucking least that could have been done for them, Mm -hmm. there is a light in the storm. These women unknowingly saved countless lives with their sacrifices. Their unwillingness to lay down and go quietly at the hands of evil money-grubbing corporate filth should never be forgotten. And yeah, that's our series on the Radium Girls. Yeah, this this has been haunting me for, what, like a month now? Yeah. And I, I didn't even yeah. have to read what you guys read, but just like... Just the concepts, people gargling on their own blood, like tumors just <laughs> rotting away, just all yep. of these things. That yeah. horrible mind museum. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
No, truly. It's, yeah, I mean, the details are horrific. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like with a lot of these things, though, you know, it's like these things have to happen, which is the unfortunate thing for real changes to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, which is just like one of the really fucked up things about our society. Absolutely. You know? In that way, I mean, it is getting better where it doesn't necessarily have to happen now. Like, it doesn't have to because there's more protection of people, but it does. Yeah, well, you, you would think so, right, after all these things. But, I mean, we like like we said on the last episode about the industrial disasters, I mean, this still happens. Um, mm-hmm. Lack of oversight, you know, regulations not being met. Because you can have the laws all you want. Are people going to follow them? Of you know, are, yeah. You of know, and it's, and it's usually, be, it's, it always comes down to saving money. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's I mean, expensive like, to get things up to code. I mean, it's hundred, it's you know, multiple thousands of dollars just to yeah. And I and to I totally it. understand that you know from from a business perspective. But it's like if you can't ensure the safety of your employees out there, you can't shovel out the money for these for these things. Yeah, maybe you're in the wrong fucking business. Maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, do you but, want people to be in like in like what what's the word when you pee yourself in in incontinent or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want that? Do you want cancer? Do you want you know what do you want from these people that you trust and you know pay for their work and labor and stuff like that or yourselves? Well, it just shows how expendable workers are. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And never forget it. Never forget it. You know, listeners. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, we might be seeing a change in that. I mean, maybe not, but, you know, with the lack of employment and companies so desperate to keep going, you know, now they're giving these incentives. You're starting to see benefits being added. You know, how good or how true some of that is, I couldn't tell you. But, you know, I, you know, we might might be seeing a little bit a change into that, like, we are all just like, you know, expendable just fucking like little worker warm bees, bodies you know? with legs and yeah. arms <clears throat> yeah yeah abso- absolutely yeah i i don't know if things are actually going to change that way but you know we're starting to see these little things happening um because, yeah. because people have kind of found you know i am worth more my time is worth more you know yep. my life's worth more than 12 oh, yeah, an hour absolutely when you know with inflation don't even get me started I'm yeah. just like if you if you even hurt my feelings, I'm not staying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unions are a good thing. Yeah, just yeah. Throw that I out still, there. still remember. I I will always remember this. I had an older guy at the bar, at a bar in Florida. We got into like a big argument because I was like pro unions, which you know unions have their good bad things, right? Like sure, unions, yeah. you Absolutely. know, almost like a like a mafia. But, you know, but he was just completely against unions. He thought it was exploitive and blah, blah, blah. But funny enough, he's a business owner. Oh, shocking. So, yeah. Well, and that's like, okay, that's why some people's political views, the decent people are really fucked up because of their business owner. Like, you know, that kind of stuff, too. So it's crazy. It's crazy. Like Yeah, that. I, I I canvassed one time for like when the oil spill happened in the Gulf in Florida. Mm-hmm. And we went to this really rich uh, neighborhood, like, I mean, fucking mansions. Oh, and so we were going canvassing um, to stop like offshore drilling in the Gulf. Yeah. All this other stuff. And um, this lady just flipped out on us because her husband 
worked in the oil industry. <laughs> of course. And she said, shame on us. How dare we? In between the people that I go <laughs> to, Armani, and all of the other places I go to talk to, I'm going to talk to you now. You know, like kind of thing. Like, it's Yeah, just... it, it was wild. She, yeah, it was just incensed that we would even like bring up such allegations that oh, the oh, oil idiot. industry is harming are the you, environment. Are you deaf? <laughs> like, have you, do you not hear that that's a consistent topic of conversation of how it's, br- Ugh, what an Man. idiot. So there's this one episode of the podcast Swindled. I don't know if you guys listened to it. Mm-mm. No, um, I, I saw it pop up. I was going to, I wanted to check it out. The episode about the Exxon oil spill. Woo. Good shit. I mean, I love that, that podcast anyway. And it's a, you know, it's a lot about industrial, um, Dang. like disasters and, oh, okay, cool. and, and corporate, corporate fuckers. That's really yeah. what the whole podcast is about is just evil yeah. corporations. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. An- another, if you, if anybody else is interested in, in these kind of things, I would also recommend Behind the Bastards. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The name basically says what it's about, but it does cover a lot of these like horrible people in history and, and today. Um, in that, sometimes it comes in the form of, co- of whole companies, you know, but it's, yep. yeah, it's fantastic if you're really interested in, in more of this kind of stuff. Yeah. But still listen to us. I guess at the end, yes, exactly. I guess at the (laughs) end of the day, everybody never forget what your worth is and never, your your job isn't worth your health ever, you know? And Mm -hmm. you can find another job. I mean, there's other opportunities, but if if you keep your, you know, feet on the ground and like planted in like, I am worth more, that's, that's, that's a lot, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. We only get one go around this fucking planet so yeah yeah don't hurt your back don't ruin your lungs for a job <laughs> <laughs> i'm hurt my back i know me too <laughs> my butt hurts from sitting here <laughs> <laughs> well i guess uh yeah i guess there's really nothing else to say um thank you for sticking with us um yes, through this four-part you. series yes, it was you. quite a roller coaster but um yeah i mean it's it's such a fascinating story um An important story and yeah, very important story. Um, so again, if you do want to read more about it, um, Kate Moore's book is The Radium Girls, The Dark Story of America's Shining Women. Um, again, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't tell you do how much it. we recommend it. Fantastic. It. Yeah. Just don't do think it. about it. Just do it. <laughs> don't think about it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess we should do socials. Woo! So you can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, on Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, on Twitter at Pendulum underscore pod, on TikTok at Under Pendulum Podcast. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> and you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. You can find me, Heather, on Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter, at Heather W. Thomas, and you can hear my narrations on Creepy, Tales to Terrify, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and The Wicked Library. Woo! And you can find me, uh, Caitlin Weber, at Frothy Stardog, at Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram uh, by searching for Christopher Weber 13 V and on Facebook by searching for Christopher Weber. Excellent. 
Excellent. Won't and it's almost October time. Oh, yeah, almost that's right. October. It's almost. It's, it's, we're getting close, I know, I guys. I can't wait. I'm really excited about my costume this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll be doing some lighter but Halloween-oriented stuff, oh, yes. you know? Yes. Since we since that was a pretty heavy series. So, um, yes. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we're all excited for October, the best month of the year. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's the most wonderful time of the year. All right, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.